You're listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity, titled Innovations in Glaucoma Therapy, is provided in partnership with the National Eye Institute of the National Institute of Health of the United States Department of Health and Human Services and Prova Education. It is supported by independent educational grants from Bausch Health and Airy Pharmaceuticals. Before starting this activity, please be sure to review the disclosure statements as well as the learning objectives. Here's Dr. Pradeep Ramalu. This is CME on ReachMD, and I'm Dr. Pradeep Ramalu. And I'm Dr. Randy Craven. Hi, and I'm Dr. Mark Dunbar. So to get us started, Dr. Dunbar, can you discuss some of the differences between the pharmacologic and surgical approaches for the treatment of glaucoma? When do you decide to pursue pharmacologic therapy, and when do you decide to pursue surgical therapy? And what patient factors play into this patient selection? Medical therapy in the form of topical pharmacological eye drops have really been the mainstay in glaucoma treatment for many, many years. Uh, I think for many good reasons. These are non-invasive, highly effective ways to lower the intraocular pressure. So I think the idea of medical therapy is these are safe with minimal side effects. Uh, and in the day and age that we're practicing today, we've really got a full armament of, of eye drops or medications to choose from. But I think we recognize there's drawbacks. And so one of the questions was, when do, you, when do you choose to go from medical therapy to surgical therapy? Whenever I make a diagnosis of a glaucoma or a patient is new to me, that's really one of the kind of the discussions I have with a patient. You know, instead of, you know, brushing compliance under the rug, I kind of bring it out in the beginning to just let them know that not everybody is good at taking a drop. Not everybody can remember to take a drop. And that's okay. So I talk about the fact that there's other ways to lower the IOP besides using an eye drop, including surgical therapies such as trabeculectomy or shunt therapy. And so we know that those advances also work, they're very effective in the treatment of glaucoma. Typically, surgical therapy has really been reserved for really more of the severe glaucoma patients. You know, patients where they may come in with advanced glaucomatous damage and you need to get the pressure down to that. 10 to 12, and there may be no other way to do that other than surgery. You know, in patients where you can't take the chance of being compliant or non-compliant because they've already got advanced visual field loss. So I think those are, you know, some of the considerations that we think about when we're making a decision, do we keep this patient just on medical therapy? Do we add a drop or is it time to pull the trigger and perhaps, you know, recommend a surgical therapy? I, I think that's a great summary. And I think that all these new treatment options are both a blessing and a curse, a blessing because we have so many options and a curse because we have to figure out which one to use and when. So great summary. Dr. Dunbar, in the last three years or so, we've seen the, the approval of a number of new pharmacologic agents. Can you tell us about some of these new medicines? What are their mechanisms of action, dosing schedules, and the results from the seminal clinical trials which describe these agents? What else do we as practitioners need to know about them? I think one of the kind of the new ex and exciting class of drugs are the, rokin the rokinase inhibitors, particularly the first one out of the gate was nutarsidil or Repressa. These drugs have really a unique mechanism of action by inhibiting rokinase. They lower the intraocular pressure really three ways. They increase aqueous outflow, they decrease epithelial venous pressure, and of course, they also reduce aqueous production. So these drugs, as I said, are really very effective. I think the unique mechanism of action, and particularly decreasing episcleral venous pressure, is pretty exciting. So you're looking at patients, for example, with normal tension glaucoma, where 
you know, in a sense, there's only so low you can get the intraocular pressure. You can't get it below episcleral venous pressure. And so by being able to kind of lower episcleral venous pressure, we're able to maybe get the pressure down even a little bit lower, particularly in that group of patients. So again, I think one of the advantages of Repressa, it's really good as a single agent first line, but it's also additive to other agents. This is a medication that you can expect in clinical trials of about four to five millimeters of mercury. So maybe not quite latanoprost level, but it's a drug that can be added to latanoprost. And again, I think the unique mechanism of action makes it really very exciting. I think the one that came out of the gate that we really liked was the Roclitan. So that's the combination of nartosidil and latanoprost in combination. So Roclitan is one of those that really, when you combine it, did a particularly good job. So you're talking in addition of about one and a half to three millimeters of IOP lowering than you did each drug individually. So again, the idea of a combination therapy, if we can lower the burden of treatment, improve quality of life, I think from a patient perspective, it's really a winner. And again, the fact that it really has a unique mechanism of action really makes this a very exciting drug. There's two other latanoprost you know, molecules that have been FDA approved. Of course, Visalta, which is latanoprost bunad, it has that nitrous oxide attachment to it. And we know that nitrous oxide has an effect by relaxing smooth muscle. So again, this is a unique formulation of latanoprost that may get us an additional one to three millimeters of mercury beyond what we're able to get with latanoprost. And of course, the downside is we talk about sometimes now you're competing with generic latanoprost. But again, within terms of a unique mechanism of action, this really may be a good first-line therapy in terms of glaucoma medications. In the clinical trials, when it was being compared to Timolol, again, about eight to nine millimeters of mercury compared to about six to seven with Timolol. So again, very powerful, very effective medications. And again, the third one in that list, or the fourth one, being Zelprost. So this is latanoprost that doesn't have um, benzylconium chloride. So again, when you think about your patients who've got ocular surface disease and dry eye, many elderly patients, this really may be a good go-to medication because it removes that BAK element to the medication. Well, thank you, Dr. Dunbar. Those are great comments, and it's very exciting that we have some new pharmacologic options after so many years. I think one of the things that we've struggled with are maybe some side effects from these medications and also getting prior authorizations. Great. For those of you just tuning in, you're listening to CME on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Pradeep Ramalu. I'm joined by Dr. Mark Dunbar and Dr. Randy Craven. We're examining surgical and pharmacological innovations in glaucoma therapy and how to apply them to clinical practice. Now that we've had a very good discussion about the latest innovations in pharmacologic therapy, Dr. Craven, can you tell us about some of the exciting new advances that are happening in surgical therapies for glaucoma? Yes, I'd be happy to. Uh, you know, Dr. Ramalu, there's been so many things that have changed over the years. Uh, the most um, prominent thing that, that people hear about when they go into their ophthalmologists or optometrists uh, in many cases because they're uh, working in conjunction with co-managing cataract surgery is about some sort of a micro-invasive or micro-incisional glaucoma surgery, um, the MIGS they call that. And two of the most common ones you've heard about are the eye stent, uh, and then the other one is the Hydrus, which was released recently. And then for a while, we had one called the Cypass that's been withdrawn. Uh, but the MIGS devices have gone through different uh, generations and, and revisions. 
So the most uh, recent release was one called the iStent Inject Wide, which is a little bit of a larger injectable implant. It's put in with a guide wire that we go across the anterior chamber, go up to the trabecular meshwork, gently deploy it so it goes through the meshwork. And the wide is a little bit bigger, so it doesn't go too deep. And it stays just right at the flush with the surface of the trabecular meshwork. And it allows basically a snorkel for the aqueous to go into the canalish limb and bypass the trabecular meshwork. And as we all know, that's where the source of resistance is for aqueous outflow. The other area that we've really tried to improve upon is that of completely doing a scleral bypass, which is a trabecular bypass as well as going through the sclera itself. So a fistula or a filtering surgery or some kind of a stent surgery. And there's one on the horizon and one that was released a few years ago implant that, that we've been using. It, one is called the Zen implant. And that's basically a refined porcine collagen tube. Great, super. Do you want to talk about some of the new sustained delivery implants also? Yes. You know, the, the world of uh, sustained release has always personally intrigued me all the way back to when I used to use the OcuCert, which was a little ring that we had that we'd put on the surface of the eye, almost like a small contact, that delivered pilocarpine. And it was two polymers sandwiched that let pilocarpine slowly leak out, and it worked great. So the bimatoprost sustained release implant, the marketed name for it is, is Darista, was approved by the FDA for a single use. And the patients, as you talk to them about this as being something that we could try for them and see how they do with it, are much less resistant to the idea of an injectable or an implantable medication than I thought they would be, because I just didn't know how responsive patients would be to that. But many people know how much they hate using drops, so they're, they're interested in it. So I've already been using it in the clinic. Um, we have a little uh, procedure room set up to do this. Uh, it's done either at the slit lamp or in a procedure room. Patient comes in, they receive some topical anesthetic, uh, some uh, antiseptic, we usually use 5% uh, povidone iodine, and then have the patient look or fix on something straight ahead. You come up to the uh, temporal cornea and just gently go through the cornea with a very sharp needle that's on this inserter and put the pellet inside the anterior chamber. Uh, that slowly releases the drug in the anterior chamber. And the studies that we uh, evaluated this in show that, that up through three months, uh, the vast majority of patients, like over 90%, have pressure control that was the equivalent of one or two medications that they'd been on topically going into uh, to receiving the implant. And then a subset of patients get sustained pressure control. Uh, I was an author on one of the papers where we looked at what happened up to two years out after patients had received this. And 28% of the patients after a single injection of the Darista had pressure control up to two years, which is really quite remarkable. The things that we obviously have concern about is what does something inside of the eye do to the cornea? This was one of the reasons that the FDA has approved it just initially for single use until that gets worked out better to understand the effects of the implant and the medications on the cornea over a sustained period of time. Great. Thank you for that.
Dr. Dunbar, did you have any additional commentary to Dr. Craven's description of these new surgical innovations? Yeah, I think obviously, again, an exciting time for glaucoma management. I think the bimatoprost insert, you know, from an OD perspective, I think is perhaps uh, the most exciting. You know, this is a, a procedure that can be done, as you uh, point out, it can be done in the office. You know, it's almost taking a, a you know, that what, what the retina world is doing in terms of intravitreal injections. And again, not that it's that simple, but, you know, I think in an efficient and effective way to, to deliver a drug over a long period of time. You talked about, Dr. Craven, the issue of compliance, and we've talked about it earlier. I think this is really, I think, an exciting mode of, uh, of lowering intraocular pressure in a kind of a non-invasive uh, format, if you will. Well, thank you for what's been a very valuable conversation. And as we wrap up, I'd like both Dr. Dunbar and Dr. Craven to maybe share with the audience one take-home message you want them to remember from our discussion. Dr. Dunbar, do you want to go first? I think from an optometric perspective, obviously we know that glaucoma is a huge burden. There's a number of patients who have it. Um, we see a number of patients who maybe aren't able to get in, are uh, not able to be effectively treated. And I think you know, the fact that we've got some new medications that are now available is an exciting time. Terrific. Dr. Craven? I personally think that we're just on the tip of a huge iceberg that we're going to see a lot of changes occur as a result of uh, intraocular drug deliveries. And I do think as the microinvasive surgeries keep getting evaluated and tweaked, we're going to see better ones come out. All right. Well, I think for me, the real take home is that we need to understand what our patients want on an individual level better, because I think right now with so many different options available, there's no single solution for each individual patient. So we need to uh, really customize our therapy. Are we looking to lower the pressure more with medicines? Are we looking to get people off medicines? Are we looking for uh, people who are more comfortable and need to be on preservative-free therapy? So I think there's more customization than ever that needs to happen. And so there's a lot of learning that needs to happen about the different ways that we have available to do this. Well, thank you all. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. So I wanna thank our audience for your participation. And thank you, Drs. Dunbar and Dr. Craven for joining me and sharing all your valuable insights. It was great speaking with you both today. Thank you guys. It was a great discussion. Appreciate being involved in this. Thank you, Dr. Romulo, Dr. Dunbar. It was great. This activity was provided by Prova Education and is supported by an independent educational grant from Bausch Health and Airy Pharmaceuticals. To receive your free CME credit, be sure to complete the post-test and evaluation at reachmd.com slash Prova. This is CME on ReachMD. Be part of the knowledge.